Best Practices in Emergency Notification, Webinar 1. Hello and welcome to the Best Practices in Emergency Notification Webinar Series. I'm your host, Steve Hardiman. In this educational series sponsored by E2 Campus, we bring you webinars presented by your peers, decision makers who have firsthand experience responding to actual emergencies on their university and college campuses. They will share their experience and answer your questions about how they made decisions, what actions they took, and the role their emergency notification system played in protecting the safety of the students faculty, and staff to whom they are accountable. Today's webinar is Managing Back-to-Back Hurricanes, Lessons Learned from Delgado Community College. And your presenters today are Thomas Lovins, the Assistant Vice Chancellor and Chief Information Officer of Delgado's Office of Information Technology, Carol, Carol Giannotti, the Executive Director of, of Delgado's Public Affairs and Information Department, and Winston Magruder, the Manager of User Support Services in Delgado's Office of Information Technology. Now, what we're going to be covering today in a moment, uh, we'll tell you how Delgado prepares for emergencies, and next we'll describe what happened when Hurricanes Gustav and Ike struck back-to-back. Then we'll talk about how the college's ENS was used to enhance public safety. I'm going to now introduce our first presenter today. Our first presenter today is Carol Gignotti. Hello, Carol. Hi, Steve. Hi, everyone. Carol is the Executive Director of Delgado Community College's Public Affairs and Information Department. Her office facilitates internal and external communications for the college. Her her eight-member team manages media relations, the website, graphic design, publications, the college switchboard, and crisis communications. So, Carol, uh, get us started by giving us a brief background on Delgado and talk about the unique aspects of the public safety challenges you face at the college. Sure. Thank you, Steve, and welcome, everyone. Delgado is Louisiana's largest and oldest community college. We were founded in 1921. Uh, We're the largest provider of liberal arts and pre-baccalaureate education and workforce training in the region. We are accredited, of course. And we have 82 degrees and certificates plus 22 uh, technical competency areas. We have 11 locations in and around New Orleans, and we serve students uh, from throughout a 10-parish region. Our enrollment, as you can see, is quite large. We have a combined enrollment of over 26,000 students taking credit and non-credit courses. And we're located uh, within a region that that experiences a lot of hurricane activity, Just in this year alone, we've had 15 named storms. Uh, Omar was the most recent one that was uh, traveling through South America. Um, They're very erratic, and they're very unpredictable. Uh, And our facilities are located over um, 11 different locations uh, that spans 40 miles. Uh, We have both our technical campuses and our um, Delgado campuses, uh, and our Communities are traveling from throughout the region. Uh, we're a commuter school. Uh, we don't have any dorm facilities, so um, all of our students are traveling um, to our locations um, every week. All right. We're going to move on now to our next presenter, who is Thomas Lovins. Hey, Thomas. How are you doing, Steve? Doing great. 
Thomas Lovins is Assistant Vice Chancellor and Chief Information Officer of Delgado Community College's Office of Information Technology. His department provides the technology leadership and technical resources required to establish and support Delgado's technology infrastructure. His team provides the college with applications programming, computer operations, enterprise resource planning and administration, help desk and desktop support, and networking and communication services. So, Thomas, tell us how Delgado prepares for emergency and how that's changed in the wake of Hurricane Katrina. Okay, Steve, we basically began in the beginning of our calendar year in January, and it's a cyclical process that we go from January through December. In the January time frame, we start our assessments and basically collect or combine a lot of the assessment data that was uh, rendered during the hurricane or the previous hurricane season. We look at things that went well, things that went wrong, any kind of refinements that could that uh, could better the process or our ability to respond to situations. This year, which was somewhat different and unique, we uh, launched the E2 Campus product as part of our emergency notification strategy. And in January of this year, we uh, began the launch and the notification campaign. From March to May, we do a lot of, uh, of activity centered around um, being prepared uh, and from a testing and certification process. Our emergency response team, uh, right around the beginning of March, we do mock drills. We sit in a room. Uh, all the members of the team, which are some 15 to 20 members representing all of our locations and, and campuses that uh, Carol alluded to earlier, basically walk through a, a, a scenario where we respond based on our uh, drill plans. From an IT standpoint, my staff, we do extensive testing on our administrative systems. Uh, that includes our student information system. We take our tapes and go to our restoration facility that is 80 miles away in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We actually load those tapes. We exercise our systems. If it's our student system, we go through the process of registering registering student print transcripts, uh, warding aid, uh, and the like. If it's our HRS product, we have our users simulate a payroll process all the way down to printing checks. It's also a time for us to um, get any kind of supplies and inventory that we, we would need to be ready for in terms of June 1st, which is the official start of hurricane season. And our campus police areas, they make sure that they have any kind of supplies they need in terms of blankets, MREs, batteries for radios, our facilities, uh, personnel. They get any kind of uh, necessary things that they need, such as lumber and nails and boards or whatever they're going to have to use in order to deploy when they come back um, on campus to secure facilities or make them operational uh, after an event has occurred. In our office areas, we, uh, in our assessment, we look at what we did well, uh, particularly if it's we anticipate that we'll be out a long period of time um, and we have to run the Emergency Operations Center or even run the college, um, particularly for a long period of time like we had to do in 2005 for Hurricane Katrina, we'll get desk supplies, letterhead, stationery, um, things that we'll put on thumb drives, uh, important documents, contracts, things of that nature. And it's also a period of time for us to have any kind of contracts and make sure that they are in place for hotels, our emergency operations center, as well as uh, some of our key providers like our PBX vendor and telecom providers in terms of us getting fast path um, action to respond to us when we have a need when the event occurs. From June 1st, that's the official period of our hurricane season, 
In May, we basically wrap up any kind of documentation in terms of our emergency plans. We send our certification documents certifying that we've tested all of our processes, any kind of technologies that we, we're, we're testing. We certify that and send those to the appropriate uh, agencies. During the fall of this year, we went live, and right before uh, we went live, we made sure that we tried to reinvigorate our campaign for our subscribers into E2 Campus. And we did that through making a, a modification on our uh, entry point for our students such that when they went to register for classes for the fall term, they would get a page that would precede their registration process, and we were encouraging them to sign up. One thing that did happen to us that uh, facilitated a large enrollment increase from 2,000 subscribers to 7,000 subscribers prior to Gustav, there was a hurricane in the Gulf of Mexico uh, called Faye, and that really heightened our awareness and alertness, and our enrollment grew uh, significantly as a result of the storm that came prior to Gustav. In terms of readiness, um, when we get to the point where we have to close the college, we make sure uh, from a facility standpoint we secure any kind of objects, we make any kind of last-minute preparations in terms of college closure, any kind of processes, processes to secure, take data uh, to the co-location facility, and we make sure that all those actions and events are uh, occurring in a timely manner. From that, we make sure when the event has passed that we do our damage assessment and any kind of restoration activities, and then we go through another cyclical process depending upon how many events or hurricanes we have to weather. We then um, evaluate um, our action plans and how we respond to those um, weather events. All right. Now we're going back to Carol. So, Carol, tell us what happened when Hurricanes Gustav and Ike came ashore within two weeks of each other. Okay. Well, as you know, these are very unpredictable. There's, there's no way of knowing when uh, for sure a hurricane is going to head in your direction. Even when it's in the Gulf, you have to wait a number of days before you can make a determination as to how close it's going to come to your location uh, and what needs to, to happen. And in our instance this past fall, uh, we had two storms back-to-back, -back, uh, Gustav and Ike. Both were named storms, uh, Category 2 storms, which are nothing to ignore. You really do have to, to um, be careful and um, take all necessary precautions and make sure that your populations are safe. Uh, Gustav made landfall on September 1st, and Ike made landfall on September 13th. But there's a lot of activity that, that happens between that, those points. For our first storm, Hurricane Gustav, um, stage one in our emergency plan is to uh, continue to assess the situation. And we were in stage one once we determined that Gustav was likely to enter the Gulf of Mexico. Um, so what we do as a group is we meet, we, con we convene, and we start to uh, raise the awareness of our population. And one of the ways we do that is we send an email to our students and also our faculty and staff just reassuring them that we have an eye on the situation and that we're paying attention to the weather notifications that are coming out on the news broadcast. And, of course, everybody's awareness is, and alertness is heightened, uh, especially since we've been through Katrina. And you want to be reassuring to students, faculty, and staff uh, that the leadership of the college is paying attention to this and ready to react, uh, helping to ease those fears. Uh, we also asked our faculty members to remind their students in class 
to pay attention to weather activity and also uh, look at the, the resources that the college is providing for them to stay informed. And we don't, definitely want to, to keep them from harm's way as well as give them the information that they need as to whether or not they're supposed to come to class and what their instructions are to continuing their, their, um, their course activity. So by Tuesday, um, on the 26th of August, we were in stage two where um, our hurricane emergency planning and response team were meeting daily at this point and keeping an eye on things. By Wednesday, we decided that we would activate our plan and we emailed uh, our students, faculty, staff, uh, that we were watching the storm, we were reminding them to to, to email uh, to sign up for the emergency notification if they hadn't already. And at this point, I, I want to point out that we really have uh, kept the emergency notification text messaging system um, available only during times of, of real emergency. We wouldn't use it in advance of that. We would use email and other communications. Uh, and the, the, when the time comes and, and there is an, an urgent announcement that needs to be made, that's when we use the text messaging system. Uh, on Thursday the 28th, uh, after watching the storm track closer to the city of New Orleans and, and to our region, the college leadership made a decision to close the school and we sent out our first text alert. And by this time, everybody had been aware watching web website postings and emails and hearing announcements in class. So our first text message announcement went out that our, all of our locations would, would close at 12 o'clock the, the following day on Friday the 29th. And then we encouraged them also to check our website for updates. Uh, that's a great way to keep a connection going with your audience is if you have redundancy, not just relying on one medium, using the text message to um, send out the urgent message and, and providing additional information on the website because there's only so many characters that you can use um, on the text messaging. We also, uh, as part of our communi crisis communications plan, alert the media. We do that via fax and email and then also follow up with phone call to make sure that they get the information out uh, via local news broadcast. Um, we also uh, continue to provide ongoing updated notices on the website, as I intimated, um, and then initiate the college closure procedures. And by uh, Friday, we were in stage three, which is um, closure of the college. We closed the school at 12 o'clock, and buildings were in lockdown, which meant that campus police secured all facilities, and everybody was ordered to evacuate um, effective 12 o'clock. Our switchboard was activated, um, our operators were dismissed, and it went on to an automated message that gave uh, the same information, consistent information that we were sending out via email and text messages that the college would be closed um, and that the uh, switchboard operation was switching over to our Baton Rouge location. Uh, the IT uh, department did their data backups, uh, and all the other departments at the college did their data backups and moved the information to the HAP site and uh, began initiating the crisis link. By Saturday, August 30th, everything was complete, and uh, Thomas may speak more to this uh, in a bit. Uh, that includes making sure that everything is, is shut down, everything that needs to be transferred is, is transferred, and the college is closed. So now here we are still in stage three. The hurricane emergency planning and response team left the city of New Orleans and traveled 240 miles to North Louisiana to beautiful Cypress Bend, 
where, uh, thank goodness, the college provided facilities for us to continue our work as a group um, and uh, allowed all of the other faculty and staff and students to attend to their to their needs, their family needs. And uh, at this point, the city of New Orleans was ordering a mandatory evacuation. So everybody was uh, leaving the area. And by Sunday afternoon, feeder bands were beginning to move through the region. And we were starting to feel uh, the effects of the storm coming ashore, even in North Louisiana. By Monday, the eye of the storm made landfall at 11 a.m., um, and we felt it was judicious that morning to send out a second alert message letting our constituents know that we would remain closed until Sunday, the, 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 the 7th of, of, November, of September, because we felt it was uh, necessary to allow people to have enough time to return to the city and return to their, um, their homes and make sure that things were okay. Uh, by Tuesday, the 2nd of September, we were in stage four, which is um, the uh, returning to New Orleans. Uh, our response team left North Louisiana, returned home. Uh, the ground, uh, we had teams on the ground checking the facilities, uh, checking for damage, uh, making sure that the, um, the campuses were safe and secured. Anything that needed to be um, uh, fixed or attended to was attended to. Uh, conducting uh, assessments and also alerting uh, the leadership as to what was going on on the ground. Um, then a third text message was sent to our constituents. Uh, once we were able to make a determination that we could reopen the college, and thank goodness this, this storm did not hit New Orleans directly, uh, we determined that we would need some time to, to get power back on at all locations and that we would be able to reopen on Monday the 8th. So. By Friday, this is the end of the week, uh, we've alerted our constituents. Everybody is attending to their personal needs and coming back and getting things settled. Meanwhile, our teams at the college are making sure that the powers are, are restored to all, camp to all campus facilities. We had one building, Building 4, that was uh, a little touch and go for a while, but we were able to get it up over the weekend. Uh, Saturday the 6th, I believe uh, the facilities folks had a contract in place and brought in some electricians to do some emergency wiring and they were able to get the building back online by Sunday. And at that point, um, the city is returning back to normal. Everybody's expecting to go back to their normal um, working life and, and um, things return to normal. So everybody was alerted to return to the college on Monday and we were looking at business as, as usual at that point. So here we are back to school. Everybody's anxious to get back into their regular routines. And uh, by Tuesday, we have another storm that we're keeping an eye on. And it was, it was deja vu all over again. We don't know if this is going to be a big storm, if it's going to come directly to us. Uh, and we have to go right back into the same mode that we had just been in, which is heightened alertness, uh, making sure that the faculty, staff, and students knew that we were keeping an eye on things. Uh, so we reassembled the emergency planning and response team in preparation for Hurricane Ike. By Wednesday, um, again, we're, we're meeting with the team members. We're discussing all of the ramifications of closing, of staying open, of uh, safety and awareness, and making sure that our facilities were secured. Uh, it took us two days to finally face the reality that, yes, we had to close again because of the severe weather conditions would cause great hardship to our community our college community. 
So by Friday, we made a, a determination that we would close, and we sent another alert message out to our constituents saying that we would close it uh, that day. Sunday, the storm makes landfall early morning. Um, again, the same routine. Our emergency uh, personnel conduct the campus damage assessment and conduct a conference call with the leadership to let us know that everything's back back on online and that we can return to to our jobs the next the next day. Thank goodness, no no damage this time. All right. Well, thank you, Carol. Let's move on to our next section. And our next presenter is Winston Magruder. Hi, Winston. Now, for the last nine years, Winston has served as the manager of user support services in the Office of Information Technology at Delgado Community College. He's responsible for the college-wide oversight and supervision of 11 technicians and support personnel located across nine campuses and learning centers. He consults with the college community on all matters related to desktop support, help desk services, as well as the hardware and software procurement. All right, Winston, so tell us what you looked looked for in an ENS to enhance public safety that could deliver the successful results you experienced with the back-to-back hurricanes this summer. Okay, Steve. Hello, everyone. When we first began investigating emergency notification services, we had no particular requirements other than the system had to be able to reliably send text messages in a timely manner to our students, faculty, and staff. We conducted online research to identify the different types of technology that were available, as well as who were the major players. We also researched local and regional government agencies, as well as higher educational institutions nationwide to see what they were using. While doing our research, we decided to concentrate on a solution that was simple to use and offered web-based administration. We also wanted the ability to send messages using the web or telephone. We wanted to have a reporting tool which would allow us to track messages and use a sign and to get user sign-up numbers plus other options uh, or things that we wanted to do. Uh, we wanted a simple sign-up process for our users, and we wanted the ability to upload user data as well as the ease of implementation on our part were also major considerations. We briefly considered a self-hosted solution, but decided on a web-based solution instead. Once we selected our provider, we began mapping out a plan to sell the solution to our users. We did an awareness and enrollment campaign, and our opt-in approach included instructions published on our website. We set up computers around campus during our registration periods to assist and encourage students to sign up, as well as passed out flyers and placed posters around posters and yard signs around our campus. We did extensive testing internally to designated test groups that we created, and we made sure to inform our users that this solution was only going to be used in emergency situations, hoping that this would calm any fears that we would inundate them with non-emergency text messages. Thank you very much, Winston. Let me go ahead and engage our panelists in a quick question about uh, how would you describe your level of preparedness? Well, we've always had a, a formal emergency plan um, 
after Hurricane Katrina, because our likeness, uh, our awareness and our transformational uh, perspective of it was, I guess, at its highest point. The budget. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, we learned a very hard lesson. We took a lot of things for granted prior to 2005, and it wasn't to our catastrophic event occurred that the the sense of urgency and and um, priority was given to to that. So the only thing I would I would like to add to that is never take for granted that it would never happen to you. And and at some kind of way at an institutional level, it it has to become a priority because someday, hopefully, it never happened to you. But when it does. Uh, being prepared and having layered preparedness um, makes a big difference. But uh, we did see a, a, a budgetary increase in terms of supporting the plan. That was the nexus for us getting the uh, hot site uh, immediately after Katrina, basically as a survival mechanism to restore IT services. Um, and with uh, the Virginia Tech incident in, in combination with uh, Hurricane Katrina, we um, were able to start implementing different parts of a, a comprehensive emergency notification strategy, which E2 Campus was the first component. And I have to add that um, Thomas and his group were ahead of the curve. We had a, a state mandate come down that we needed to beef up our emergency response for our constituents, but it came after Thomas and his team had already started investigating and finding solutions for our college. Uh, but it is a, a statewide initiative now, um, and um, it, it's just across the board, if you look at the nation in general, um, the Virginia Tech incident has uh, really made a lot of institutions look at their, their how they respond and how uh, they are responsible for the safety of their constituents. Yeah, a real wake-up call for a lot of campuses. That's really interesting feedback, and it'll, it'll help us as we move through our Q&A session. And boy, do we have questions. We're going to have a challenge getting through all these. All right, gang. You ready? Here we go. Uh, who pays for the emergency supplies? Oh, speaking about budgets, is it the university or is it the responsibility of the individual department? It's a good question from April. Uh, it's basically the responsibility of the individual uh, unit areas to, to, to cover that aspect. We cover the co-location costs in, in IT, so even though Carol has part of the telephony functions and make sure that the announcements are, are there, we actually pick up the cost for the co-location facility. But, uh, but in general, the, the overall operating budget, I know our leadership looked at this issue hard and made some very tough choices about how to distribute the funds from the general, uh, the general fund to cover the cost of technology. Uh, so there is a formal budget process in place at our college. I'm sure everybody has, has the same process where every year the leadership decides um, how to work with the, the funds that are available. We're a public college, which makes it a little uh, more difficult as well um, because we only have what we have to work with uh, very often. But there was a concerted effort to look at the needs tech, uh, of, uh, of our institution and add the technology piece um, uh, as soon as we, we were able all right. Robin wants to know, uh, was registering for the e for E2 campus made mandatory or voluntary for students? It was voluntary. And a question from Dan, is there any legal liabilities uh, legal liability issues involved with sending alerts out that may cause people to take certain actions that end up being perhaps the wrong actions in a certain situation? 
haven't, I don't have information on that, but we are very, very cautious about when we use our text alert, and uh, we only give pertinent information regarding the status of the college. Uh, we don't instruct individuals to do anything. All we're doing is, is using it as a reporting tool to share college closures. And so we haven't run into that yet, but that would be something very good to investigate. Does that answer your question? As always, if it, if a question is not fully answered, you can always submit a clarifying question. Uh, a follow-up question to that is uh, to encourage signups and participation in the program, is there a benefit to using the service for other non-emergency announcements like cancellations, promotions, etc.? Or does it run the risk of diluting the import uh, of the actual emergency message? So is that a cry wolf scenario? So what, what's your opinion on that? Well, our, we're of the united opinion that it would definitely dilute the effectiveness of using this product if we used it for things that were non-emergency. And the other thing that we have to take take into consideration is uh, the, the variety of different services that our constituents have. Some of them get free text messages. Some of them are charged. And we certainly don't want to be uh, having situations where our students are charged for uh, messages that are unnecessary. And we really do feel that uh, in order to maintain the, um, the integrity of the product and to really let uh, have students have confidence, students, faculty, and staff have confidence that when they're getting a text from us, it needs to be paid attention to. It doesn't need to be dismissed. And so we only reserve it for emergencies, and we do not see a benefit of using it for non-emergencies, which can be communicated in, in other vehicles. What were the factors that made you go with a web-based solution rather than a, uh, self, a self-hosted solution? Um, that was part of our Hurricane Katrina um, assessment of ourselves. Um, we felt like certain services or functionality we wanted to have hosted, we didn't have the capability due to the shortage of staff, funding on getting um, or replenishing our servers and things of that nature, so when we got to the point in the evaluation process, we didn't um, consider that as a, as a high factor of doing it here uh, based on those circumstances. We felt more comfortable having it hosted um, uh, by, a, a, by a provider. Uh, that way, we, when we had an evacuation and shutdown and transference of services uh, to our co-location facility, that would not be something that we would be uh, worried about have to have that capability. All right. And a question about how the messaging works. Uh, the, you'd mentioned text-to-speech. So is that text-to-speech to cell phones, uh, campus landlines? Who gets the text messages? Uh, if, if we have uh, text-to-speech right now, it's set up to be delivered to um, our campus phones uh, to ring in the offices. Um, we have the text messages that go uh, to cell phones, and then it's also translated into email, and the email is distributed to faculty, staff, student email accounts, as well as those users who have also opted to have messages sent to their personal email accounts. All right, and a follow-up question to that is, uh, was delivery successful to cellular devices overall? What percentage of success did you experience? It's over 90%. We, we actually tested it before the, this event. We did a test earlier in the semester, 
to make sure that it was working. And again, we uh, used an awareness campaign to let students know that this was a non-emergency test to make sure that the, the system would be uh, working beautifully when we did need it. And we try to do that once a semester. And uh, for the event, when we needed to use it, it, it delivered beautifully. And actually, we did a final test prior to Hurricane Faye uh, when we saw that it was entering the Gulf uh, of Mexico, even though the projected path was toward the uh, Florida coast. We did initiate a last um, email test at that point when our subscriber base significantly uh, enrolled to make sure that we did not have any um, issues that we would be concerned about at that point. I'd like to quickly share a comment that came in from April that she was responding, I think, to some of the issues that brought up in the poll. And she said, at my university, there was new leadership in the upper administration who recognized the need for these plans. We live in a tornado winter storm area, but uh, we're, uh, but are in a post-Virginia Tech world. So indeed, it looks like a lot of people, even with non-related types of emergencies, are really looking at that. Uh, another tech question about the ENS, are you able to import cell data from other existing sy- uh, systems and databases? Winston says yes. Yes, yes, we can do that. Um, and how do you go about evaluating your various ENS providers? What what were what were the features that were most important, and how to, how did you go about your evaluation? I'm not understanding. That. Well, we looked at as Winston alluded to earlier the the market research. We were concerned. Uh, about the, the functionality and, and, the, and the off-site hosting, uh, one of the things we looked at, what companies had a market share, particularly with a high concentration in higher educational institutions. We felt like a company or a solution provider that was used to, I guess, the nuances of the college and the universities, that they would uh, have a system that would be more tailored to our needs. We looked at our local uh, colleges and universities in our area to see what products and solutions that they were uh, deploying. Um, so those are some of our major criteria. How often should you review a plan and uh, what advice do you have about getting started with a plan if you don't have one at all? There are some plans provided by, and I know we don't like to use this word here in our region that FEMA <laughs> provided, but there are some governmental documents or shell documents that you can use. Uh, the state of Louisiana has uh, several um, contract providers that will actually assist us in coming in, or assist a state agency, rather, in developing a plan. So a combination of public resources and some unique things that we have set up here in Louisiana, um, we were able to construct a plan. In our particular case, we used an adaptation from the University of Arkansas. Uh, they had an IT plan, and their environment was very, very similar to ours. So we adapted that plan and modified and tailored it to our institution. And their IT plan is very, very deep and detailed. Uh, If you're looking for a general hurricane or emergency response plan, uh, we worked with our campus police chief who has um, decades of experience working with the New Orleans Police Department. So he came to the institution with some great uh, experience and knowledge and also some some documents that uh, were publicly available. But... You know, we're we're all in the same boat, and uh, if anybody would like a copy of our plan, we'd be happy to share it, our emergency and, and crisis response plan. Right, and we were not looking to reinvent the wheel. Right, <laughs> right. All right. Um, 
Is there a way that uh, Delgado notifies students and faculty that do not have cell phones and therefore no access to text messages? Uh, Is that done exclusively through the website? No, again, it's really important to have consistency and redundancy when you're trying to get an emergency communication out. And we use as many available opportunities as we can. And we realize that there are students that don't have uh, cell phones. Uh, There are even students that that don't have televisions. But we do everything that we can to get the message out. Um, Beyond text messaging and emails uh, and and the website, as we mentioned, um, our office uh, notifies the local media so that there are tickers at the bottom of, of news broadcasts or announcements made on radio. Um, we um, also notify our faculty and staff so that when the, the students are on campus, they're uh, reiterating and reinforcing our message in the classroom, uh, making announcements for us. And I, I know that the, Thomas has some, some plans down the road to add some elements to our plan that increases our capabilities, but that's what we have to work with right now. Right. Just to add to that, as, as part of our a comprehensive emergency plan. All of our unit areas are also required to have a plan and to test it. And part of that uh, plan is to have an com- uh, internal communication mechanism within their units. So even though a person may or may not have an email address or a cell phone who is opted in or uh, may, or may not be in front of a computer or a screen, they have other mechanisms, either walking down the hall, going to the office, or uh, calling a home phone, or whatever that mechanism is, is, is part of the uh, communication plan within a unit area as well. And then, Thomas, uh, the plans, the, the next stages of development for the university include the uh, loudspeakers and the visual Right. That's part of our comprehensive strategy. We're looking at some other technologies, some indoor-outdoor speakers. Uh, we have a call box project that we're initiating this year, and we're looking to do some digital signage as well as part of uh, our notification strategy. Karen asked the question, uh, when we've, we've used our text message alert system, it has been received at varying lengths of time by individuals based upon the carrier to whom they subscribe. Any ideas for augmenting the efficiency or promptness of receipt when the, char- when the carrier is often a factor? Well, part of what we noticed in our testing, we did have some issues with particular carriers, and maybe we were just fortunate in during our testing. Um, but we did work with E2 Campus. They were able to do some analysis on the type of carriers, and particularly when we were doing our text alerts, we did notice that um, particular carriers were not uh, receiving the messages um, from E2 Campus, and they were able to analyze and assist us in working that out. And we, they did some internal adjustments in terms of the ISPs and things that, based on our testing that we saw in that process. So uh, I would say testing is, is critical. Are there any of you, are any of your alerts automated? For example, from the uh, National Weather Service or local law enforcement nine one one. Any of our alerts automated? No, they all come through our offices, uh, and there's um, only three uh, units that are responsible for sending text messages. Uh, my unit, which is Public Affairs and Information, has the priority, uh, or Campus Police. Certainly, if there's a shooting, the campus police is not going to walk down the hall or call me and ask me to send a text message. They will have priority status, and they'll send the message. Um, Or uh, uh, the Office of Information Technology. 
what is the time, uh, April asked another question, what is the time from when the message is inputted and sent until all subscribers get the message? Do you have a, do you have a measurement of that? That varies. Most of them receive, that, receive it right away. We've had very good results. Um, there's only been a, a small minority of our users have that lag time. Um, Manasseh wants to know, have you ever thought about integrating with a paging system uh, to blast out messages that way? Yes, that's part of our comprehensive strategy. We're seeking funding um, to do uh, either an audible system and or um, digital signage that would be integrated with the two campus that would hopefully would be a unified message that sent from um, that provider to all of those types of technologies. And the, and the beauty of having it unified is it's simultaneous, and you know something is going on. You don't have lags between an announcement being sent via text and something coming out on the digital board and an announcement coming out over the loudspeaker. It's all unified. And we try our best in our department uh, to keep it uh, unified and consistent as well so that at the same time the media is being alerted, the Students, faculty, and staff are being alerted. The telephone messages are being changed. The website postings are going up. All right. We actually had a couple questions related to uh, templates that asking about uh, your ability to predefine message. And are you able to do that in advance? Certainly. And we have a range of messages prepared and ready to go if we need them. And, of course, each one is different. You, you, you have to name the storm or the event or modify accordingly, but, but the general announcements are there for us to work from, and they're very, very helpful because oftentimes if you're caught in the middle of an emergency, uh, the words don't come as easily. It's really good to have them written down and have a resource in front of you to work from. Uh, another question, did you have add additional infrastructure like landline phone lines uh, for the text-to-voice option? Uh, no, fortunately, we received a grant and we bought a brand new phone system in 2007, what is that, six, six. Um, so we had the capacity, so we did not have to make any infrastructure changes in, in terms of trunking uh, or the PRIs that we have that are incoming to, to handle that. More questions related to these uh, cell phone carriers, I think. Uh, first of all, what is the percentage of enrollments in your text message system? Hmm. Oh, you mean uh, number of students that's enrolled? Yeah, well, it asks as a percent. Well, we have right now about 7,000 uh, students in, enrolled in our text messaging system, and we have 14,500 students um, in our credit, uh, and another 1,500 or so in our, our um, technical colleges. And if, as we increase the capacity, we can add more users. Uh, John asked another question. Were there any carriers that were more problematic than others in regards to delivery? I've read many articles that speak to these issues. Oh, I don't know if we want to name <laughs> don't, You don't have to put yourself on the line. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we want to do that. But. All right. That was the gotcha question. Okay. This is another comment about the 25% of respondents to our poll that had no plan. Um, it says, uh, find 
find one uh, from another university that is similar in size and setting, and is it and it's easier to adapt to your needs. Did you all look at any other plans from other similar universities as to base your own, or did you uh, create it from whole cloth? No, in our in IT, the IT plan was an adapt, adaptation from the University of Arkansas. And then the crisis plans, they came from other institutions as well, as, uh, including our own parent uh, institution, the LCTCS system. They have a plan, and we try to stay on board with what they're, they're doing. And ours is, of course, more extensive because of the uh, range of locations and, and constituents that we have. Um, but we, it's, it's best not to try to reinvent the wheel because inevitably you're going to miss something, and it's really great to be able to learn from others and, and adapt their best practices to what is applicable at your at your facilities. Okay, uh, we're going to wrap up in just a minute. I got a couple questions to power through. So, how do we get students to validate their text alert accounts? And if they do not, what procedure do you have to place in place to notify students that their accounts are not activated? Good question from Karen. That is a good question. We we did that mail merge one time. We were able to go in. We were able to go into the system and pull out uh, accounts that were never validated. And we did a a mail merge and was able to send out a communication to those students that their accounts hadn't been validated. And we posted instructions on our website for them to go through to uh, revalidate their accounts. All right. And that's going to bring us to our last question. We got a good one that we were able to save for last here. In the wake of events like uh, like like in Virginia, Virginia Tech, uh, we conducted some emergency event training with campus security, local police, and FBI. Time of observation to notification was key. Do you have any plans to allow someone away from the computer to initiate an alert? Um, not sure what the away from the. We have that capability. We haven't actually had to use it. I think that's what they're asking: is that how you know? Do you have something in place if you can't get to the computer? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. E two campus has a one eight hundred number that you can initiate the call without having to be in front of the computer. Excellent. That capability is there. We have not used it at this point, other than testing it. Uh, when we had the two storms, we basically used the web interface to to produce the messages. Right, but if necessary, that's there for us. All right. Well, thank you, Thomas Lovins, Carol Gennady, and Winston McRuder for sharing your expertise and successful experience with us today. Thanks, guys. You're very welcome. Thank Thank you. And thank you, E2 Campus, for sponsoring the Best Practices and Emergency Notification webinar series. Join us for our second webinar, Issuing an APB from an Emergency Notification System, Lessons Learned from Millersville University. In March of 2008, Millersville University Police issued an all-points bulletin, an APB for a wanted individual. The user emergency notification system to send the APB to the entire campus community. Within 15 minutes, the individual is found and apprehended. You'll learn why they decided to use their ENS, the content of the alerts, to whom they were sent, and what Millersville would have done differently. All that and answers to your questions on the next installment of Best Practices in Emergency Notification. I'm Steve Hardiman. Make it a safe day.